don't know this, then you're behind the times. The only metric that matters is convenience. Rules apply to you. Suddenly you're an advertiser. This is Social Minds, the UK's first dedicated social media marketing podcast brought to you by Social Chain. I'm Theo. And I'm Eve. And each week we'll be joined by a host of progressive minds to learn the unique and innovative ways that social media is being used around the world. On this podcast, we'll be discussing the latest developments across social and what they mean for us all. And if you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe to get new episodes every week. This week on Social Minds. How is that possible if their attention span is shorter than yeah. a goldfish? Yeah. It would be impossible. We were joined once again by our very own strategy director, Mike Blake Crawford, to discuss everything that's happened in social since he last came on the podcast. Yes, a lot is changing at the moment in the world of social. Everything from the demetrification of social media, including the Instagram like ban, to the polarisation of content, including the difference between short form and long form video. What should brands be doing? If those weren't two big words, how about this one? Chatvertising as well. Chatbots and where are we at with that and instant messaging? And what then happened was the pigeons lost their minds and I think one of them tapped the button 87,000 times in a single day. There was one doing it 2.5 times per second because they became addicted and they just didn't stop. All this and more coming up. Mike, welcome back. Hello again. It's been a long time. It has been a long time, too long even. <laughs> yeah. um, now, we were going to kick off by asking what your current predictions were for the rest of the year and for 2020, but I feel like yeah. it would be a good idea to revisit some of the predictions that you made in 2019, sorry, in December 2018, <laughs> to see how many have come true. Yeah, I think when you put um, these things on record, you've got to be held against them. You've got to Definitely. be held to yeah. account. But loving the new setup, by the way. A lot changed in six months. I'm now on the other mm. side of the room. And yeah, I've now, yeah. now got a whole yeah. sofa to myself. More which is um, room for activities. Yeah, definitely. I feel like I could just lie down and <laughs> spread out on this sofa now. But um, yeah, I want to be quite concise with these. But some of the interesting ones that I said um, back in December of 2018 was death of the news feed, um, which has kind of happened to a degree. I think we've seen um, Instagram stories and Facebook stories is definitely... Mm. Um, proliferated and I think the new launch I don't know if you've seen the new tab that they've launched for stories on desktop yeah. I thought that was quite interesting um, and definitely shows the push towards stories from a Facebook perspective mm. which I guess is something that's changed since we last spoke um, another thing that I mentioned, which actually alludes to something I'm going to discuss in this podcast, was about um, video consumption through um, platforms like Facebook Watch. Um, while Facebook Watch itself has kind of flagged, I think the transition um, across the long form video on Facebook is something that's definitely happened. Mm. So mm. going okay so far. Another one that's quite interesting was we talked about Amazon and Google potentially um, further socializing their services. And I yeah. think we recently saw the news that um, Google are, are starting a new social network. Yeah, they're looking um, into it. So, yeah, there's a few here that have um, have come true. I'm obviously not recapping the ones that have failed. <laughs> no, to be honest, I there's think... There's still in, time. In, yeah, there's still time. There's six months to go. Yeah. So um, we're on track. We can do it again in six months. And 
um, see where we got to in the you, you end. You seem to be quite it's accurate with them, Mike. You know, you seem to you seem to always be on the right lines with what we're I'm talking real about. With, with you know, you, you, you know, you know which way it's going. Yeah. And uh, I mean, one of the predictions. I mean, I'll let you talk about more this more. But one of the predictions you mentioned for 2019 yeah. is this idea of a demetrification of social. And I guess you know you'll explain yeah. more. We've seen that with stuff like likes going out of the Instagram yeah. and stuff. It's, it's not so much a prediction as such. It's more in response to what we've just seen um, happen recently. Recently. So for those who don't know, I'm sure everybody that listens to this podcast is fully aware um, that Instagram have removed likes um, in certain markets. And mm. when he said they've removed likes, they've removed likes from public view. Um, so the individual can still see their likes. Um, but as a, as a viewer, I couldn't see your likes, for example, but you could mm. see them and I could see mine. Um, but you can't see mine. Now you can still, you can still actually like a post. Mm. Um, but it's just a quite an interesting move from... Um, a platform where likes are the currency, um, and ultimately likes are the currency for all social platforms. And you know, it's interesting for me. I mean, for most of us in this room, we all started on Facebook way back in mm. the kind of mid two thousands when likes didn't exist. Mm. Mm. Um, and I think they came in around two thousand eight, two thousand and nine, and it was a, a kind of a revolution in the way that people interacted on social media. But you know, in terms of them becoming the currency of social media, you've then seen them, um, you know, exported out to every social platform from you know LinkedIn. In, um, which has recently launched reactions mm, to get yeah. further interaction. Yeah. Um, I think a really interesting one was Twitter because they used to have the favorite button, but they switched it to a like. Yeah. Um, and even TikTok, which is this kind of new um, behemoth that's rising from the East, um, has likes on it. So they're the currency of social media. So it's really interesting to see a, a social network seek to remove mm. them. Snapchat, um, though, we were talking about this the other day. Snapchat doesn't rely on likes in that way at all because there's no like permanent no content feed, there. though yeah that's that's the difference isn't it there's no feed so it doesn't have mm. that feed-based interaction and therefore no likes mm. but, but i think is... i think a lot of people like using snapchat because um there isn't that pressure to get likes yeah uh, at all so maybe instagram's trying to get a little bit yeah, of that of, of course i mean you look at the the reasoning behind it and you know in theory it comes down to um, shifting perception mm. um, the perception that people have of themselves and ultimately mm. the perception they have on others because we live in this world where um, you know we dictate success and value by meaningless metrics so it is a really interesting one to see um, happen and I'm, I'm really intrigued to see if it happens on other platforms do and rolls out further do you think it'll work um, I'm a cynic behind the whole thing, to be honest. So um, I think ultimately the way that this test has been rolled out, it's been rolled out in select markets. And I believe ultimately it's a PR move. Um, they're looking to try and leverage a lot of the talk around, let's say they, like Instagram, Facebook, mm -hmm. um, are looking to leverage a lot of the talk around mental health at the moment. But I think the critical thing is that this rollout is a test and it's a test to understand um, how it impacts user attention mm -hmm. because these platforms ultimately rely on attention for mm -hmm. commercialization. I think if there is any negative impact on user attention and engagement, then it's going to fall flat. Mm. Um, there may be negligible impacts, and if that happens, then potentially it gets rolled out to a couple of other um, markets as well. But I think the big curveball is if it actually makes people engage more. Yeah. That would be really interesting. Yeah. That's something that That's nobody's actually thought about. It. And if that happens, then it's going to be everywhere. Yeah. And it'll be on Facebook, and it'll be on every other social app um, ASAP.
And the, the, the thing is, though, as well, Mike, like obviously, you know, you know, being a marketer and likes obviously the, the currency for, you know, all of us users, but yeah. for brands as well, brands for ages yeah. have used yeah. them as sort of like a barometer of success of a campaign. Yeah. Even though we say you shouldn't be looking at vanity metrics. How does this affect them? Um, I think it's a great thing. It's funny. I've actually, you know, I've had multiple brands reach out over the past couple of weeks to ask about this. And I've said the same thing. I think it's fantastic. I think the over-reliance on metrics like likes is a, is a negative thing because um, ultimately they don't mean anything. And a lot of the brands that have got in touch have been like, oh my God, like, what are we going to do? We don't have likes. How yeah. are we going to measure our success? And um, I think the fixation on likes as a, as a measure of success is, is wrong. And, you know, what brands need to be doing is looking at this as a, as a wake up call and a, an opportunity to start looking at more valuable metrics, metrics that deliver more impact. So real brand metrics, you know, awareness, intent, um, consideration, looking at how social media can shift brand perception mm. rather than um, dwelling on the fact that, you know, this mm. post got five likes less than the it's previous yeah. post. They don't have any monetary value, isn't it? Yeah, likes. I mean, in, in, in terms of our, a really interesting thing is the way that we approach our social strategies, we, we value likes in a very specific place in a hierarchy, an engagement hierarchy, and, and where they sit in that hierarchy is near the bottom because from an algorithmic perspective, they have very minimal impacts compared to say a, a comment or a share. So a lot of the way, a lot of the things we do is to mm. optimize towards comments and shares rather than yeah. likes, because that's what generates the virality that delivers. Yeah, likes is just such like a passive action as well sometimes. Mm. I'll be flicking through and if, if I'm in the mood, I'll, I'll give I'll oh, give yeah, out totally. plenty of likes, but I have to really care about something to, like yeah. you said, comment on it or share it. Yeah, and with, with that in mind, um, one thing, you know, a trend that I've noticed over the past few years since the explosion of video on social media was that when um, you have a video first content strategy, you get less likes because when people watch mm. a video, they're then less likely to click the like button. But when you see a picture, the consumption is the like, in essence. It's yeah. really easy to see a picture and just double tap on Instagram mm. or just like it on Facebook. That's so and be interesting like, oh, yeah, because you're I right. Like that. Videos on Instagram don't get nearly as many likes as a photo yeah. post. And yeah, no, I've that's had right. the same. You know, I've had the same conversation with brands, and they've, they've come back, and we, we've approached a video first approach on Instagram because the algorithm is prioritizing video in the same way that it happens on Facebook. And what we've seen is that, oh my God, like month on month, the the likes have gone down, the engagement rate has declined, but actually you, you're generating X number of video views, and a lot of these are like 10 second video views. Mm -hmm. So then they're starting to impact on those brand metrics that we talked about. So that's ultimately where the value is. Mm -hmm. What, and what about influencers as well? We've all seen the video of the uh, influencer, I can't remember the name, but crying because she said, I'm going to have to wait eight hours a day. And even though we all had a laugh, yeah. there is something to <laughs> yeah. say that influencers still sort of rely on these vanity metrics. They are kind of still there. Sort of. Yeah, I, I think with that, though, we, we've already highlighted through Likewise the, the value of those likes yep. that influencers get and the way that they can mm. be manipulated. So again, it it shifts the onus onto the brands to to really understand the impact of their influencer marketing mm. and not just relying on, oh, this influencer's got 10,000 likes. Like, so what? They could be mm. buying mm. half of those likes. They could just be likes from, you know, people that are never going to purchase products that they're featured with. They just, um, you know, like the content because it's, you know, it's exciting and it's different. So... Um, hopefully there'll be a shift in thought and understanding about social metrics and, and kind of what to focus on from a value perspective. Mm. I've seen I've seen a few influencers themselves 
sort of trying to figure out this hidden likes thing on Instagram and what it'll mean for their industry, like from the influencer's perspective. Yeah. And some of them have said that they're worried it'll cause Im some influencers to start buying followers again as a way to like overcompensate for some sort of mm. visible vanity metric. Potentially, but I think there's always ways to... Um, to understand when that's happening. And I mm. think the, the the bad thing about buying followers is, is that ultimately you're buying followers from typically bot accounts and spam yeah. accounts. So it, it kind of goes against the objective of the influencer, which is to grow an engaged audience. Because what happens is that because the algorithm on Instagram has shifted towards recency, mm. if you suddenly get a thousand new followers from Russia or China or India, wherever these bot farms are, um, they're dead accounts and they're not actually interacting with you. Mm. But what will happen by proxy is that your recent posts will get served to the recent followers who've recently mm. come onto the account and you'll get zero engagement, which yeah. will, you know, limit reach and limit so. further virality. So yeah. it's, yeah, it's one of those where you can't really win from um, these nefarious methods. Yeah, you can't forget as well that obviously whoever's done the posting can still have access to how many likes their post has got. So influencers can yeah, still provide their engagement that. rate to brands. Yeah. Before before we move on to, because we've got obviously got so much to cover, I just want to know, if this test were to work for Instagram, could right. you see this being rolled out elsewhere, even outside of the Facebook ecosystem? Potentially, but I, I just can't see it rolling. I can't see it working fully. I'd be really surprised if it works. And, you know, you've got to understand why likes were introduced in the first place. So, I mean, it all stems from what's been referred to as the race to the bottom of the brainstem by social networks. You've got to remember that there's a whole team of people that are working day in, day out to understand how to keep people engaged and yeah. how to maintain attention. That's not done at the conscious level of thought. It's by tapping into deeper um, psychological areas. And, you know, there was an experiment done in the 50s um, by a psychologist called B.F. Skinner, where he basically um, had a pigeon in a cage and he had a button in the cage. And when the pigeon tapped the button, it would dispense food. And what happened at first was that every time it tapped the button, food was dispensed and it started tapping. But then after a while, it realized that, oh, I get the food every time. I'm not going to tap it any longer. I'll just wait until I'm hungry. Mm -hmm. But they changed it and they made it so that like every, you know, it's like 20% chance. So every five taps, you got a piece of food and it was irregular. And what then happened was the pigeons lost their minds. And I think one of them tapped the button 87 thousand times in a single day there was one doing it 2.5 times per second because they became addicted and they just didn't gamifying start. the pigeon i remember yeah. that one from a level yeah. psychology but think about the likes that you receive on social media it's the exact same pattern you never mm. ever get consistently 100 likes you might get 20 likes and then you might get 150 yeah. likes and because of this unknown every time you post something it's a gamble and so it keeps true. you hooked mm. so um, I would be very, very surprised that's, if, if that's that psychology is broken by hiding the light. Let's mm. let's let's move on to a topic that I find really interesting that you've been speaking about a lot on the circuit, and that is uh, BAU and sort of. Yeah. I want to know where where we're going with social now because uh, you know to add a little bit of context to this, um, you basically came out and said that you know your business is as usual posting is kind yeah. of you know it's becoming more and more irrelevant, and these are like you know, the brand mentality that you have to post free product shoots yeah. three times a day and whatnot. And clearly social is changing a bit, a bit, you know, in terms of campaign thinking. 
Yeah, definitely. I think for a long time, brands were able to get away with posting um, a high frequency of organic content for, um, you know, valuable results. You'd get a decent amount of reach if you had a significant following and a decent amount of engagement, which could then potentially um, impact those more valuable brand metrics. But as the algorithm has changed, um, you know, you get a lot, you get, well, you get almost zero reach um, organically now. Um, but what brands haven't done is adapted to that. And it comes down to kind of push and pull content. So there are some brands that can still succeed by having an always on BAU approach, but the key is having valuable content that people want. Mm. So a good example would be like a sports brand. So like a, a Sky Sports has a lot of football content. People want to see it. So with that, you can get away with posting quite frequently, organically, because people will engage with and share the content that you post. But mm -hmm. you shift that to a, a, a CPG brand, for example, that's pushing a, a skincare product, which people want at a certain time. Mm -hmm. um, they probably don't want to consume um, content around the skincare products all the time, mm. um, you have a different behavior. And by pushing out three times, three posts per day on Facebook, for example, you're just not gonna deliver the results that you you anticipate. And in fact, you're gonna negatively impact your results because the lack of engagement then means that when you do have something valuable to say, it's not gonna reach anyone. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I'm glad you mentioned uh, skincare brand actually as well, because something else you've been talking about is uh, Lush and Lush's breakaway okay. from where you were going with social that. media. Like, Got any yeah. tips? Because <laughs> <laughs> um, your skin looks amazing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I mean, uh, well, well, with Lush because it seems to be sort of taken this precedent and, and gone their way on social and. Yeah, you know, I mean, that, that was an interesting one. I mean, clearly the reason I put that into my talk at the time was the, the relevancy because yeah. I was speaking about a week after that news had broken. Um, and yeah, I recently posted a video on LinkedIn um, with the segment of that talk because I ultimately knew it was a, a controversial topic that would generate the engagement I needed. Um, of course, I didn't have all of the data. So whether their decision to leave Facebook was correct, you know, I can never say with, you know, complete certainty, but when I looked at the data, the data didn't lie. And you go back to the context of the statement they made and they said on their statement, um, we don't want to pay to reach people anymore. Um, and when I looked at their paid social efficiency, it was it was incredibly low. So they were using the wrong posts with paid. Um, they didn't have a Facebook pixel. So how on earth they were measuring the success of the content, mm. it was, you know, I had no idea. Um, another thing as well they said was that they didn't want to fight algorithms. But when you looked at their output, they were doing everything that we would tell a brand not to do mm. in terms of their approach. So for me, it was like before you start say these things mm. at least put in the effort to to adopt best practice and yeah. they didn't do that so mm. with that in mind then you know they shouldn't really be on social yeah they were literally getting what they paid for yeah but you know for me there was an opportunity missed by you know implementing a, a strong strategic approach to social and seeing how that works given their business objectives rather than just saying ah we quit yeah what interests me there is it seems like quite a a Luddite move sort of to go back on yourself. And this kind of ties into one of the points you were making about the opportunities for engagement on social at the moment are yeah. by driving innovation. Yeah, been definitely. One trend. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it comes down to this theme of um, breaking the newsfeed. We've got to this point of social saturation now where, you know, everybody's kind of 
aware of what to expect on the newsfeed. You kind of scroll through it and it's the same things that you see again and again and again. Um, If you want to really stand out, you need to innovate. And that could be through content, through ultimately creating things that people just don't expect to see. So, you know, a recent trend that went viral was FaceApp. Um, it's really interesting. I find it really fascinating how that works because, you know, it, it kind of went viral about a year or so back. That's it. I was just about to say, I yeah. remember a and while then ago. It disappeared and then they came back with like a mm. new algorithm. Um, <laughs> and the thing that, you know, you look at the psychology of why that worked so well and it tapped into two things. It tapped into the narcissism that people, you know, want to show, want to see what they look like when they're older. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then also maybe want to show off when they actually look pretty good. I mean, I, I looked, I looked, I looked, oh, I looked good. I looked so bad. I looked at all these pictures. I thought, oh my god, like these guys look great. And um, the men's ones were so much better. The women's ones, it didn't I'm change sure, the women's I'm hair not color. Sure I'm a, I'll agree with that one. Mine, it's it's mine five shocking. Shocking. day after that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, it it was tapping into that kind of narcissistic element that drives a lot of social media action. um, But it also tapped into the fact that it was just what you weren't expecting to see. You know, I was going through my feed and I was seeing my friends and I was like, what's going on here? Like, he's... (laughs) He's aged like 50 years and it really like had that impact. Whereas, you know, normally I'd just see them in a, a typical situation. So yeah. um, there's a lot of lessons that you can learn from that. Another one was, um, I think it was about a year and a half back a couple of years ago that um, Burger King's Twitter account got hacked by McDonald's or like someone purporting to be from McDonald's and they changed the logo and they started tweeting about um, Big Macs and stuff like uh, that. Yeah, and, it, and it went, yeah, yeah and it went, it went viral. Who knows whether it was just a stunt from the Burger King team but it went viral because it was absurd mm. and it was completely different to what people expected knowing so. Burger King I'd wager maybe yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean that, that's interesting it seems like we are in this period where we've become so used to everything we've ever seen yeah. before yeah that maybe that is the only way to kind of mm. really you know to just completely go against what yeah. you're doing I mean that's, that's, that's a creative execution a way of kind of getting around that but then there's also innovation in terms of technology so um, you know, one of the things I, I mentioned in the predictions um, at the end of last year was this kind of move towards this customer service element and the mm. importance of that. Mm. Um, and I think one of the things that was going to fuel that, which has definitely developed significantly, is the use of bots. Mm. Um, I recently went to China. I went to Shanghai for the first time and I was really blown away by the integration. Yeah, they're um, miles ahead, aren't they? Oh, yeah. In terms of like the WeChat integration with like payments and um, just the way that people discover and purchase products, it's all done within this kind of chat environment. Mm. Um, and I, you know, I do anticipate that we're not far off developing that um, in the Western world as well. Yeah. There's, there's examples already where that's um, actually in operation. So um, I think by utilizing um, these types of platform innovations, that's that's a way of kind of circumventing um, this kind of newsfeed apathy. Mm. Yeah, I've definitely seen more on chatbot, uh, chatbots recently. I, heard, I read an article, I think it was on the drum. Uh, it's being referred to as chatvertising now. Mm, but I have I have yeah. seen a lot of um, a lot of brands using chatbots more and more. And what with, you know, obviously the Facebook's focus on private messaging and they're going to integrate all of their um, messaging apps. I think that's going to be uh, quite a big part of that. 
Definitely. Yeah, Definitely. and I think if you again you look at the um, you look at the commercial purposes for that. So for them to be able to unify their audience across the three biggest networks in the world, arguably, mm. um, and have a uh, the key thing is the the tech stack behind it. So they're looking to integrate these messaging services, but they'll all operate off the same tech stack, which will mean that as a as a marketer, you'll be able to deploy. Um, bot and technology services at ease, at scale, across all of these different platforms. And to me, that's a huge opportunity and mm. it's really exciting because um, we've had huge success with bots as yeah. an agency. I mm. mean, you know, I'm sure countless times people have talked about the WhatsApp activations we've done for brands, mm. specifically Holland and Barrett comes to mind and um, some of the chatbots that we've done for brands like H&M, mm. um, also for Revolution Bars, which yeah, when you look at the results, they're you know, they're significantly higher than, than kind of traditional on-feed mm. activity. I saw a really good article recently about Pons who've launched a chatbot for skincare. Um, and the way that it works, it uses neuro-linguistic um, programming with the AI and it also has this really smart um, image analytics tool and it allows um, people to upload pictures of their skin, asks them questions and it's able to identify um, more consistently, accurately than uh, a dermatologist, the problems that really? people have with their skin and then recommend the product. And what they've seen is a three times higher um, conversion rate through this chatbot um, funnel versus other mm. media, which is incredible. It's nice. It's like a nice balance of, like you said, seeing something a bit different that you're not used to seeing from a brand. And also, yeah. like, it's a massive convenience element to that oh, yeah. as well. Totally, totally. People, you know, one of the big macro trends is the move away from kind of public spaces to private spaces. Mm. And people, there's two things. There's this move from public to private. People don't want to engage in public spheres because of the fear of, like, the privacy, Cambridge mm. Analytica, et cetera. Mm. Um, but also, there's this um, reduced friction element of the user journey. So it's much easier for me to just say hey I want some shoes and buy some shoes rather than like oh see an ad I'm going to click through to the website I'm going to yeah. search I'm yeah. going to filter by colour you know I could say oh, I want some brown shoes for a, you know a, a formal dinner and then all of a sudden I've got you know formal dinner shoes on the carousel within mm. the chat function and I can click and purchase it much easier isn't it and, yeah. and humans are inherently lazy at their core so <laughs> one, one question I do have about this Mike because I've got to sort of get my head in the right place with it as well with chatbots you know we know that they're very big I remember reading it would have been a while ago that the chatbot you know because of GDPR and whatever has to uh, initiate a, you have to initiate a conversation with a bot sorry is that still the case or is it just a case of landing on, say, um, Yeah, a lot of the time you need basically. to initiate the conversation. Um, so the, the usual methods for acquisition within a bot campaign are by utilizing like a Facebook ad or for um, if you do utilize a third party like an influencer to drive people in or a website, then you do have to obviously include the relevant disclaimers mm. um, and follow that GDPR legislation fully, guys. <laughs> Don't do anything wild. So, right now, it is interesting that we're sort of hurtling towards this kind of uh, situation where, you know, social, like Mark Zuckerberg said, is going to be the uh, digital living room rather mm. than the town yeah. square. Mm. So, yeah. 
given that, can you can you expect social to look quite different in 2020? Do you think you know? Um, I mean, off? well, I think it's it's always like we always have these huge expectations about how quickly things are going to shift. I think mm. realistically, given the the state we're in at the moment in regards to social media, off the back of um, all of the political mm. scandals and privacy scandals, I think it would be foolish. Um, for any of the social networks to do anything too radical in terms of a revolution of the experience. But I think, yeah, definite refinement towards, I mean, you can see it already with like the prevalence of Facebook groups and, um, you know, these community focuses rather than kind of the broader um, feed consumption elements. I mean, mm. when I use Facebook now, it's like 90% groups. I'm like a huge advocate of Facebook groups. Um, I think that's where the value is for a lot of people. It's not in this kind of mess of like meme videos and fake news or whatever mm. else you want to call it. It's within these like really functional, oh, you know, I live in this part of Manchester and I've got this local group that's telling me about this great restaurant or mm. um, great events. So much more useful. Yeah, totally. So I think, yeah, from, from a Facebook perspective, capitalizing on more useful um, spaces within the platform. Um, but then also you've got this kind of, um, shift in user attention spans now that we're seeing, which which will have a big impact in 2020 for sure. Mm. That's an interesting point. You mentioned attention spans. You also mentioned revolution. I want to come on to, you know, one of the big... political now. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I want to come to... Ollie's ears have just pricked up because one of the big yeah. trends we want to come on to is video. And yeah. it's funny that we talk about videos being a trend, but more specifically the uh, sort of divisions between long form and short form yeah. And where we're at. Yeah. With that. Mm, it's you a had really some interesting good uh, interesting data, didn't you, off the back of that? I did. I've come prepared. I've I've been um taken over by the corporation that is Amazon <laughs> and I've got a Amazon Fire tablet. I saw um, your so Instagram story the other day like as well, a, and you had all your branded notebooks in. Oh you've got something something media for every brand. Platforms, yeah. that's right. That's when you've been working in this field for too long. <laughs> um nice little collection. <laughs> Um, yeah, one of my colleagues, Rox, who I think was on the podcast last week, yeah. has, um, today received a, a drop from Facebook with loads of branded goodies, which oh, I'm nice. sure Ooh. she's going to be wearing for the rest of the year. So <laughs> I look forward to that. Um, but yeah, we talked about attention being the, the core currency of the social networks and the, the most, important fi most important thing ultimately, which was um, why I felt the likes experiment was solely that. Um, but in regards to attention, there's always been this kind of mantra that's been spoken over the past few years about, um, oh, human attention span is shorter than a goldfish. It's all about short form. Mm. And, you know, mm. honestly, I, I always think that that's bullshit. And yeah. when you look at the the truth and the, con you have to, the context is everything. So, you know, 100 years ago, people would read maybe two newspapers a day. Um, in terms of the information that they consumed, maybe listen to the radio. Um, but recent data has, has shown that, you know, the average kind of millennial um, is now consuming around 200 newspapers worth of information every mm. day. So as that information has Incredible. increased, because you think about the 20th century and you had like TV, newspapers, um, radio, mm. movies, and it was all stuff that you'd probably consume between half an hour to two hours. Yeah. Mm. But then information exploded. There's 200 newspapers worth of information every day. So you've got to somehow sift through it all. And you can't spend an hour sifting through each individual media. So mm. what it's led to is this kind of flippancy around content where people are just going, you know, click, 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 click through all the different types of content. Mm. Um, and 
And that is what has kind of led to the short form attention span. However, um, a really interesting development over the past few years has been this kind of like gravitation towards long form, mm. but like longer than ever. So movies are now actually, their runtime is longer than ever before on average. You think of like the Avengers movies, um, they're all incredibly long, like three hours plus it now. And getting longer, yeah. Yeah, and you, you know, you look at um, podcasts, for example, and you look at like mm. the number one podcast, yeah. Joe Rogan, the average episode length is about 180 minutes. It's like three, three hours. Um, and you think about like Netflix as well and, and how like, you know, and this is from teenage years through to older and people are uh, happy to spend the whole weekend just sat watching a box set. And how is that Me. possible if their attention span is shorter than yeah. a goldfish? Yeah. It would be I impossible. Um, so that's a really interesting um, trend that we're seeing now is that actually attention span is starting to get polarized. It's split between short form and longer form, but it comes down to two things. Um, filtration of information and then the environment you, you find yourself in. So yeah, you know, loads of stuff on my smartphone, emails, videos, Instagram, Facebook, you know, messages. Um, sat in a cinema, it's dark, my phone's off, mm. there's a big screen with a film and I'm going to watch it for Sometimes free. Sometimes it's nice as well. I feel like when you're being bombarded with so much information all of the time, it's like, if I find a longer video on my Twitter feed and it looks interesting, the idea of like settling into mm. that and watching that, it's a bit of a, like a break because sometimes oh, yeah, like totally. looking at constant information, it can get quite tiring. So there's definitely, definitely that enjoyment now to be had and, you know, taking the time for something longer, whether it's, you know, reading a newspaper article or watching yeah. a movie, like it's, people still enjoy doing that. So mm, they, they have mm. the attention and the time yeah, for it. Definitely. definitely. I wonder if the assumption is becoming, I'd be interested to know what you think of this, Mark, as well. One of the assumption now is that long form is where the quality is in terms of content and not just the style of the content, but, you know, yeah. what's coming across. I, I think, it, I mean, it's a twofold thing. So, yes, we've got the, the user behavior. And I, I say the change in user behavior, but it's not really a change because, mm. you know, 15, 20 years ago, people were happy to watch long form content. That's all, all we had pretty much yep. in terms of um, TV and, and film. Um, but also what we're starting to see is a, a push factor from the platforms themselves. So, you know, you look at Facebook's strategy over the past 18 months from a commercial standpoint and all of the investment has gone into um, long form media. The reason for that is because they're running out of space on the news feed. So they need new placements to sell to advertisers. And what a fantastic way of doing that than by inserting kind of mid-roll adverts mm. and pre-roll mm. into longer videos. Yeah. So um, it's been really interesting to see them approach that strategy. Um, and on the flip side, you look at like YouTube, which is, you know, typically got like long form attention. Mm. Um, and a lot of their focus recently has been, you know, they recently released YouTube stories for creators. Mm. Um, you know, they've got five second bumper ads. It's, it's all about tapping into that shorter form attention. And mm. when you think about it in context and have the perspective of that whole, um, you know, consumption matrix, it's that polarization. These brands and these platforms are trying to own the whole thing. Mm. And, and that's, you know, that's a huge factor in terms of, of in terms of driving this long form content consumption. Yeah, definitely. Like Facebook's always been short form and like yeah. YouTube's always been long form and now they're doing the opposite. Yeah. And, you know, I've been really intrigued by this and this is why I've brought this um, Amazon tablet today. 
um, for a show and tell. I'm not sure how this works on screen and with cameras, but I'm now looking directly into the camera, which is like a big no-no. <laughs> do you do what they but, do on uh, YouTube so, tutorials and put your hand behind it so it oh, focuses? Yeah, Does, will, it, will it work? Ollie's going to try and make this work. But basically what I did was I, um, for one of our clients, I thought it'd be really interesting to export all of the video data um, out of the back end on Facebook. So I wanted to see if there was a relationship between video length and the number of views that a video would receive. And when I did this, and it might not be visible, but for those listening, um, can see, uh, for or for those, those who... who cannot see, um, what we saw was quite interesting. So on this chart, x-axis, we've got duration, um, y-axis, we've got video views, and there's two very clear correlations. One of them at around the kind of 15 second mark, which is the short form um, content consumption that we know and love. But then also there's a really strong correlation around the 200 seconds mark, 180 mm -hmm. seconds. So the three minutes that we now see Facebook say is, is prime for um, engagement on the platform. And in fact, most of the video views that this client received actually came on a three minute video. Um, so it's very clear from this pattern mm. um, what Facebook is doing in terms of pushing, obviously, the short form, which is just, you know, the de facto, de facto go-to content, yeah. but also the long form content. Really, really interesting when you see it as a visual. So It's quite yeah. a big spike. that, And it's interesting to me how there's nothing sort of sitting in the middle. Like it yeah. is either like you're either in the short form <laughs> yeah. camp or yeah. you're in the long form camp. And, you know, the reason for that is because Facebook have obviously worked out that having a three minute video, I mean, all the data they have, three minute video is what they say mm. when you post something like three minutes yeah, or longer I've seen that. they've been prompting yeah, people now yeah. and and that is is in theory i imagine the optimum length for them to have a video that has a mid-roll placement but keeps users engaged enough that they watch the whole thing through yeah because like 10 minutes is probably a bit of a big ask mm. three minutes is like eh, i've got three minutes yeah, I can do that. Yeah. i can do that it's crazy isn't it three I mean, minutes yeah. I mean, yeah, it's something so small, and we're like, oh, yeah. it's a bit of a stretch, but sure, go on then. Yeah, maybe not. I mean, as a writer, it always makes me laugh because I mean, we, we read articles at about five, six, seven minutes. Yeah. But there seems to be a different set of rules with video. Yeah. And there's, yeah. there's that, you know, everything that goes into it, and we find it, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it catch attention in the first five seconds, but people are also saying, well, yeah you know, now do the opposite of it because everybody's catching attention in the five, first five oh, seconds. Yeah, yeah. Totally. So, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's not so much video, is it? It's more the platforms and the, the means of consumption. So, mm. you know, I was thinking about uh, an analogy about the difference between um, TV consumption and, and social media consumption because, you know, you always see these stats that, you know, social media is now more time spent on average um, than linear TV, which is yeah. true. Um, but TV still clearly has a, a big impact and long form video clearly has a big impact. And I always say that, you know, the pattern of usage on social media with the short form consumption is akin to someone, you know, sitting down and watching TV and just flicking through the channels for like mm. an hour or yeah. two hours yeah. and, and just jumping from, you know, piece to piece. So, to you know, stories now. Yeah, really. it's, it's stories. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. you know, no. it's mad though that we do it like that. And I can't picture doing that on, with the TV, just flicking between channels would drive me mad. It seems bizarre, doesn't yeah, it? it? But does. it's what people sure. do. Yeah. And it, it's, yeah. I mean, the challenge then is for marketers and content creators is how do you make, how do you make tell a story in, in that, in that, 
time frame. Yeah. What, what, what do you advise brands to do? Is it a mixture of the two, the long form and the short form? Is it mainly long form? Is it mainly short form? Um, yeah, you've got to have a blend, to be honest. You can't just rely on banking on um, long form or short form. Um, the greatest returns will be there for brands that are able to execute across the content spectrum. And I mm. think there's an opportunity in the sense that there are methods of creating long form content, such as a podcast, for example, um, which can then be extrapolated into short form content. Mm. And then by proxy, you reduce your investment in content, if mm. that makes sense. Yeah. So um, example being, you know, we've recently been working with PLC on this podcast, which I'm sure loads of people have, have heard about. Um, but that, you know, that hour long podcast, long form attention then leads to say 10 videos mm. that we can segment out of the, the, the one hour of like 30 second, 15 second mm. little elements. It also leads to um, social PR. So, you know, we get popular yeah. um, artists and presenters onto these podcasts. So you get pick up in the media and they create like a five minute article. And mm. it, you know, it allows you to basically create, you know, even down to the images of just the people that sit on the chair. Yeah. You can put them on your Instagram and you've got a really quick piece of content, but you've you've done one piece of content in terms yeah. of production mm. and you've made like, you know, 50 pieces across the spectrum. Yeah, that's it. We do that with this one as well. I think a lot of a lot of brands get a bit scared of, you know, you're doing long form and short form and yeah, it sounds like yeah. a lot of money and a lot of work. But yeah, let's like say with this podcast, like we'll film an episode and it becomes like quotes, images, mini videos, yeah. etc. for all yeah. different platforms and it can go a long way. I think people forget, yeah, how much you can slice and dice a piece of hero content yeah. to... Yeah. Uh, Mike will wrap things up before we okay. get into long form territory. We're very much mid form <laughs> at the moment, I right. feel. But uh, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on and lots no to worries. look out for. And I'm sure in December we'll be here to see how many of these. Oh, yeah, we uh, have to catch up and see what else comes through. Just do it before December. Happening. Let's make it a monthly thing. Yeah, I'd love to be on social minds. going to rename the podcast Social Mike. Yeah. <laughs> That's the name of my yeah, podcast. Like that. Yeah. Soon. So, giving away my ideas. Yeah. Mike, thanks ever so much. Yeah, thank and you. Please enjoy. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please remember to leave us a review on iTunes because it really, really helps and allows us to bring you brand new episodes every single week. This has been the Social Minds Podcast with myself, Theo Watts, Eve Young, and produced by Ollie Thompson. <laughs> <laughs>